Well, please turn in your copies to God's Word to Isaiah chapter 65. You may be wondering why we read such a depressing psalm, all things considered, right before the sermon. really builds people up in anticipation for it. But it's reflective of the context that we enter into with this chapter in Isaiah. It's uh, the people have rebelled. They have spurned the, the Lord's favor. They have disobeyed Him consistently. This has been a pattern throughout Israel's history. And just like in Psalm 78, I... This is the kind of context that we come into with Isaiah 65. So listen to God's Word. I was ready to be sought by those who did not seek me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places who eat pig's flesh and broth-tainted meat is their vessels, who say, keep to yourself. Do not come near me. For I am too holy for you. These are smoke in my nostrils. A fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me. I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap. Both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord. Because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills, I will measure into their lap full payment for their former deeds. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it, so I will do for my servant's sake, and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob, and from Judah possessors of my mountains, my chosen shall possess it, and my servant shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. Lord, we do, we do, Lord, come to you during this time seeking you. Please come and meet with us. Give us ears to listen to all that you would have us to hear right now. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Each and every single one of us in this room have a 
very critical need that you must not ignore, and it is this, that when God calls you, you must respond. And there is a call to you in this text today that you must not ignore, that you must respond to, and it is this, to embrace the radical call to restoration. And how are we to do this? Well, the first way we are to do this, to embrace the radical call to restoration from this text that is given to us, is that we have to respond to it. You have to respond to the one that sends you this call. It is the Redeemer who sends this radical call to embrace restoration. At the beginning of our text, if you look at verse 1 with me, it says this, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here's the call, here I am. Here I am. This is the call that the Lord gives to the nation of Israel in this context. He said, I was prepared. I was ready to be sought, to be found. But you did not seek me. Not only did you not seek me, but you didn't even ask for me. This is the beloved child of God. This is Israel, who we read about in Hosea 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that it was I who healed them. I led them with the cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and fed them. This is the beloved child of God, who is saying, here I am, here I am. But they would not come. They would not listen. And they went away and they ignored the call of the Lord. They would not respond to their Redeemer. So the Lord would not restore them. And this call and these, just this verse alone, paints a, a fervent portrait. It ignites this beautiful picture of a relentless pursuit and the very heartbeat of God for His children. Here I am. Just come to my open arms and I will, I will take you. I will feed you. I will teach you how to walk. The church is the New Testament Israel. This call in, is, in, in Hosea and the one in Isaiah is to you today to respond to this call. But what did they do? They refused. 
It's like God is waving his arms around, saying, trying to get their attention. They're sitting there wondering, why is it that God's not answering us? Why is it that God won't, won't come near to us? God's not going to come near to them. He's not going to answer them because they're living in deliberate rebellion and defiance against God. As we'll see more in our next point. So what does he do? And of course, this has been God's design from day one, but he says, I spread out my hands all the day to a nation, or he says, I said, sorry, in verse one, I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Not called by my name. The invitation was given to Israel, they rejected it, and now God is extending the invitation beyond his children to the nations, to a people not called by my name which has been God's plan from the beginning. Israel was to be this conduit through which the nations were to be reached. But they continued to reject it. So God says, I'm going to give it to another. I'm going to give it to those who didn't even seek it. To a nation that was not called by my name. But you see this picture throughout the entire New Testament depicted chiefly in in Christ, the Redeemer. We we see it in Matthew 11, this invitation to come to me, all you who are burdened. In Revelation 3, we, we see, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Luke 19, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Here I am. Here I am. I'm ready to be found. I'm ready to be sought. Just take it. It's there for the taking. Imagine, if you can, you have a child. You've knelt down on your knees and they're just learning how to walk. You have your eager arms wide open to embrace this child, but instead of running to you, the child runs directly past you. And perhaps at first, that's okay. It's a child. We, we laugh and we shake it off. We don't take it personally. But what if that happened over and over and over again? It would hurt, wouldn't it? And that's what's happening here. God's child is running past the Father's arms, which are there wide open, to embrace his dear, beloved child, and the child says, no. I don't need you. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good. Believers, seek God diligently. Seek God diligently. Make Him the priority of your life. In every circumstance, in every moment of life, the Lord's arms are there to you. The question is whether you're going to run to Him or whether you're going to run past Him. In every situation and circumstance in life, whether it's weighing a difficult, challenging decision 
Take it to the Lord. What does God's word say? Don't make a decision about anything in life until you've consulted God. And when God tells you to do something, you are to obey him promptly, without delay. John 10 says this very thing. The sheep hear my voice, and what do they do? They obey it. This is part of responding to your Redeemer, is walking in obedience to what he calls you to do. This is part of embracing the radical call to restoration. Firstly, by responding to your Redeemer, but then secondly, as we find out next in this text, it's by recognizing your rebellion. The prophet now moves from this call, this broad extended call to identifying the way that is not good. Let's look at here at verse 3. He says, a people who provoke me continually to my face. At the end of verse 2 even, it says, who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me continually to my face. These are disobedient rebels. They are purposefully understanding what the Word of God tells them to do. And they are provoking the Lord to His face. Now, imagine for a second someone doing something to you that you know that they know you hate. We do this with little things in life. Maybe your spouse deliberately does something that you know that they know irritates you, but they do it just to get under your nerves. Or you fill in the blank. But here it's even worse. Because it's a big deal. It's the child of God who is standing before God and saying, basically, come at me. Why don't you? I'm ready to take the hit. Let's go toe-to-toe. He's provoking them. Israel does not seem to care at all about what God has to say to them. He is provoking them, and not just once, but a continually doing so. Highlighting the patience of the Lord. Highlighting His grace and His mercy. It says at the end of 7, it says, they've insulted me on the hills. They've provoked me to my face. They've insulted me on the hills. When you sin against God, that's what it is. It's a deliberate provocation against God. Now in Christ, God's anger is not directed to you. But that is what sin is. It's a deliberate, intentional, provoking God to his face and insulting him. That's how he sees it. And we need to see these things the way that God sees them. So they're doing these things, and it goes on to describe what exactly that looks like. It says that they've been sacrificing in gardens. They've been making offerings on bricks. They sit in tombs in verse 4. Spend the night in secret places. They eat pig's flesh, something that was called in the Old Testament unclean. They were not supposed to do it. It was not sanctioned, or which we call it kosher. They, they take broth-tainted meat in their vessels. They 
say to other people, I'm holier than you. This isn't a accidental stance that Israel's taking. It's, it's one that is of hatred to God. And they move beyond that to now saying to God, guess what? I'm better than you. And I know what is best. They take the stance of a Pharisee in this situation here. Look at it. In verse 5, they, they say, Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. The idea of holiness is the idea of being separate or totally other. And what God's child is saying, not really God's child, God's, God's uh, desolate child, God's departed child, the one who was never really part of him is saying, guess what, I'm better than you. I know what's best for me. I'm going to do all of these religious activities, do all of these things, because I'm better. I don't need you. I don't need your word. Keep away from me. Again, this is what sin is. And this, when we sin deliberately, intentionally, we're provoking the anger of the Lord. We're insulting Him to His face. Again, the grace of the Lord is there through Christ. But we need to recognize our rebellion. You need to recognize your rebellion. That this is how God sees it. And when you deliberately, intentionally sin against the Lord, that is what it says. It says, I'm better than you. I don't need you. I am holier than you. Keep away from me. This is what your rebellion against God says to him. And he says this in verse 5. He says, this is smoke in my nostrils. All of these activities, what they do then is they elicit the anger of the Lord. Described here as smoke in the, in the nostrils. Just, this, just on Friday, I had some people over for a game night. And we, for whatever reason, the, the fire seemed to get, uh, well, it moved beyond where it was supposed to and it got out into the rest of the room and the smoke and the steam and all that stuff got in the eyes and the noses and it was, it was unbearable. It was really unpleasant. And that's what it is. That's what, God's, that's what God is angry about. He is seeing this sin. It's just smoke in his nostrils. It can't be tolerated by him. He is angered by it. And I'm thankful that nobody at my house was angered by that smoke. But that's, what, that's how God responds to sin. It angers him. It's smoke in his nostrils. And then he says, I will not keep silent. In verse 6, I will repay. That's what his response is. Now thankfully for the believer, the payment was Christ. Even says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He was reviled. He was mocked. He was slain. He was slaughtered so that we might become righteous and holy. The payment was given for the believer through Christ. But for the people in this text, 
the payment is laid upon their laps. He says here, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap. For the believer, the full weight and wrath of God was laid upon the shoulders of Christ. But for the unbeliever, who continues in their sin, and and maybe that's one of you tonight, it will be laid upon you instead. God will repay. He will not keep silent. He cannot. It's part of the character of who he is. He refuses to remain silent. So do you want the payment on yourself? Or do you want the payment that God supplies to you? Our sin was so evil, our rebellion was so wicked that the Redeemer had to come. That he had to pay the price. Even though we spit in his face constantly with our our rebellion. Every single opportunity in life, every choice we make is deliberate. It's an action, it's a mindset that either pulls us to Christ or it pulls us away from Him. And these can either foster the restoration that you crave or it can redirect you away from it. Maybe you've heard of this story before, but there's the story, the Greek myth with Odysseus and the sirens and the island. Have you heard of this before? There's this island, and on the island there are these magical creatures called the sirens. They would enchant with their beautiful voices sailors that would sail on by. And what would often end up happening, unfortunately, is that when the sailors would hear the beautiful voices of the sirens, the ships would become shipwrecked and the individuals would all die. And then when Odysseus heard of all these things, he basically told his men, he was like, look, we got to get through this together. So here's what we're going to do, men. Put wax in your ears, and then I want you to tie me to the mast of the ship. And even if I scream and beg for you to let me down, do not do that. This is probably the only way that we're going to get through this. So that's what they do. And they're able to sail on past the sirens. And what Odysseus is doing is he's recognizing the importance of taking a radical action. It highlights that all individuals have a weakness, a propensity to certain things. And that we need to take drastic actions sometimes... So instead of falling prey to our rebellion, we instead can sail on the ship towards Christ without being shipwrecked. And what this means then for the believer, what it means that we are recognizing our rebellion is that we, we need to sometimes take radical actions to continue to walk in obedience to God to walk towards embracing the radical call to restoration. So maybe, for you that might mean cutting off certain distractions. 
Maybe it's social media. Maybe you struggle with drinking or alcohol or smoking or things that are major temptations for you. Recognize your propensity towards rebellion and put personal thresholds for yourself. Don't make it easy for that part of you, that old nature, to continue to fall. Tie yourself to the mast of the ship, if need be. And it's also okay for us to confront one another when we see rebellion and sin in our own lives. You can confront me. I should be able to confront you. We should be able to to point out weaknesses in the other person and point them to Christ who will help to restore us and transform us in these areas of our lives. So again, the call from this text is to embrace the radical call to restoration. You you are to embrace it by responding to the call of your Redeemer to recognize your rebellion. And then thirdly, to revel in your reward. The final verses in this text, verses 8 and 9, paint for us a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful picture. Verse 8 talks about this remnant. Because the Lord could have just left us there, right? And this is the beauty of the gospel that that God doesn't leave us to die in our sin, to die in our rebellion, to give us, to, to lay the curse out under our own lap. He instead chooses to save a remnant. And here it's described in verse 8 as a cluster. It says, The new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, Do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servants' sake, and not destroy them all. You can rejoice in that. God doesn't have to save you. God doesn't have to be gracious to you. God didn't have to be gracious to his people, but he does time and again. He says, I will not destroy them all. I will save a remnant. And this remnant that he will save, that he will pull out from the bad cluster of grapes, he is going to give this beautiful blessing to that is described in verses 9 and 10. It says, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. He's going to give them mountains. You can think about Mount Zion, the holy hill of the Lord, that they will all one day, and we will all one day, if you are a believer, stand before. That is part of the blessing that this mountain is, is calling us towards, that Mount Zion, the city of the living God. He says that my servant shall dwell there. They're going to dwell there in this land of beauty where the flocks are going to be resting and pasturing. The valley of Acre in verse 10 is a place where the herds lie down to rest. Wow. The remnant's going to be given this. But the New Testament takes this tapestry and paints far more beautiful lines 
for us. All of this tapestry points us to the pictures and revelation that were given of the new city and the new Jerusalem with the lion of the tribe of Judah in the very center with the people praising the one who is worthy. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb to be slain. It points us towards the one who said, in my father's house there are many rooms. That God is building not just a pasture land for the flocks to be in, but a mountain, a city for this people to dwell. Do you see that? Do you see that here, that this is the inheritance that he is going to be giving to this remnant that did not deserve it, that rejected him, that spat in his face, that provoked the anger of the Lord, and he says to them, I'm going to set them in these places. Wow! And all you have to do, believer, is to embrace that call because he stands before you today saying, here I am, here I am. I am ready to be found by you. What are you waiting for? He has promised to bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given you a golden ticket, if you will. Maybe you've heard of this story before about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Remember, there's a golden ticket sent out with all of these chocolates. There are very few of them. But Charlie is the one that gets the golden ticket. When he gets the golden ticket, he's holding it in his little hands he begins to be thrilled by the adventure and the expectation of all of the sweet delights that he's about to participate in. Every day he gazes at this golden ticket, savoring the wonders of the reward that he's about to partake of. He thinks of chocolate rivers. Wow. Could you imagine a chocolate river? Even if you hate chocolate rivers, think about vanilla rivers. He's gazing at, he's thinking about all the magical edible mushrooms and grass that are there. The lickable wallpaper with various flavors. The oompa loompas that are bouncing around in there. And just like Charlie, embracing the radical call to restoration is about treasuring and relishing in the sweet delights of God's restoration. It's eagerly anticipating the joyous experiences ahead. As if, as if you've already got them. As if, you're, as if they're already in hand. Eagerly awaiting the journey ahead of you. So savor the promises of God. If you are his child, this is for you. Maybe you should take some time this week to 
Look at the promises of God. Look at what he says about his children, what he promises to, to give them. Because there are many, and I promise you that you will be salivating over them. They are far better than a lickable wall that Charlie got to experience. They're far better than the Oompa Loompas or the, the magical chocolate. And then share the excitement with each other. Come alongside each other and point these things out. We should be building one another up in anticipation and joy of the things that we are to experience. This is the eternity that each and every single one of us will get to participate. And there, there, these, these verses here are painting a picture of something even greater. They're a taste of the sweet delights that are to come. And if there are some of you in this room, and God knows, and you know who you are, in verse 11 it says, but you who forsake the Lord, there are, no, there are five verses that talk about what will happen to you. He says, you will destine you to the sword. You will be hungry, thirsty, and ashamed in verse 13. You shall cry out for pain of heart, wail for the breaking of the Spirit in verse 14. In verse 15, God will put you to death. That's your destiny. And to me, that does not sound like the sweet delights that you could partake of that Jesus offers to you today. Jesus experienced those things, was put to death, was ashamed. He wailed for the breaking of the Spirit before you went to that cross so that you didn't have to. So why would you wait? Why would you reject this invitation? His hands are wide open for you. Hear the call. Here I am, here I am, ready to be found by you. All you have to do is stop running past those open arms and run into his open embrace. And believer, embrace the radical call to restoration. It's a daily thing. Do so by responding to your Redeemer. Do so by recognizing your rebellion. And do so by reveling in your reward. This is what it looks like to embrace the radical call to restoration from this text. Father, thank you for this reminder.
Lord, you have given us something of your heart in this text. This longing for intimacy that you have with your children. This open hospitality that you have given to the nations and to the world. That you are ready to be embraced. You are ready to be found. And God, we, we come to you because we, we were just like Israel. We went in the way that was not good. And maybe even now we're doing that. And we needed this to help redirect us to the path that is good and the way that is good that leads to righteousness. Whatever it is, Lord, instill that in us. And we now will respond to you, O Lord, in that call that you have placed on us by walking in obedience to these things. Tonight and this week going forward. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.